This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Digital and Visual Literacy at Agnes Scott College. Welcome to the Digital Breakdown. I'm your host, Cy Williams, and that lovely voice you heard at the beginning of the podcast, that's my co-worker, Anastasia Owen. In this bi-weekly podcast, guests and I will discuss the past, the present, and the future of navigating a digital world. In the opening two-part episode of this season, we will explore the topic of digital activism. Protests demanding justice for the police-caused deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd started in May 2020 and continue on as of the release of this podcast. Activists like Angela Davis have said the outrage that's occurring now over the systemic racism present in policing is long overdue. The question becomes, why now as opposed to then? The answer, according to some, is digital activism. Thanks to the power of the internet and social media, folks can now bring awareness to causes that may have been swept under the rug in previous generations. Today's guests are Lisa Jones and Anna Owen. We will discuss what digital activism means, its effectiveness, and our personal connections to it. Welcome to the Digital Breakdown. This episode is part of a two-part series that we're going to be doing on digital activism. Both episodes will be called Fight the Power. And today we're going to be talking about kind of an overarching view of digital activism and how people feel they're connected to it. Hi, I'm Lisa Jones. And I'm Anastasia Owen. And Anna and Lisa work as part of the CWL. And I do as well, at least for now. (laughs) So I'll be transitioning roles, but I'll still be hosting the podcast. So as a starter question that we have for today that we can discuss is, Do you feel digital activism is an important facet of modern activism? Yes, I believe it's an important facet of modern activism. In the words of Angela Davis recently, I'm not sure where she said it, but she said that this time the protest and the activism is different. And I I think I agree with her. I don't know that I think that the digital activism in isolation of physical activism is as important. I think the digital activism galvanizes the different groups that need to come together and say, hey, we're going to meet up or be in a particular place to affect change. Activism in and of itself, the word, it's a verb. It means to act. So I think digital activism has made it easier to educate a large number of people and also to help you find your tribe of people who you would want to associate with to impact change. So I do think it's important for that reason. Yes, I think digital activism is is very important for the modern times, uh, mainly because of like accessibility and just the more we as a society, I guess, uh, understand about mental health awareness and physical uh, uh, restrictions of different people that are paramount two different causes of activism, digital activism is extremely valid in, in, in that regard, I think, because it also can rally people and it, it the more that we are using technology for different businesses and the more that different campaigns and, and governmental things are using technology, the more digital activism is necessary. 
You know, Sai, that I think what Anastasia said is very important, especially the first part, that it levels the playing field for those people who have accessibility challenges. You know, having come from activism in the 80s, the 90s, where if you were hearing impaired or visually impaired, you could possibly be excluded from some of the conversations that are going on. So I'd, I'd like to highlight what she said there. Yeah, I feel um, digital activism is an important facet of modern activism because if you, from a separate angle than what you talked about, like I definitely agree with what you and Anna talked about. In addition to that, I would also like to add that not including the digital in any facet of modern life seems kind of foolhardy at this point. Mm-hmm. So even in activism, I feel like and the dissemination of information and so forth, I feel like including digital is what makes it of this era, what makes it appropriate for people of this time. Yeah. What forms of digital activism have y'all participated in? So digital activism for me started probably in the early 2000s when we were doing a lot of petition writing in the school district I worked in. So that's where I started probably a little more um, of the digital activism. There was something a little before your time, we called it Web 1.0, where the internet and the World Wide Web pushed information to you. And so what we did back then when it was first coming out was we downloaded a lot of things. And when I say things, I mean, we downloaded letters so that we could send those letters in petition through organizations like change.org and things like that. Um, I've seen it evolve. And I participated in probably the, yeah, it was about a month ago. I did my first online protest, online uh, rally. That was something that I had never experienced before, physically not being at the protest site. Everybody was on Zoom. Everybody had signs. And it was just an interesting difference in the way the traditional protests that I participated a lot in when I was in college and afterwards. The second thing I did probably between the first time and this time was I worked with an an organization also school related to impact school politics through social media. And it was something we were experimenting with at the time. And it actually had a, a huge impact because what we realized were the elected officials were really driven by what people were saying about them in their constituency, in their areas. So it was done all on Facebook. And there were these Facebook groups that targeted particular issues that were going on. And we actually were able to impact the vote of this particular school board, which also impacted the policy that was, it was some kind of a reform in education during that time. So those those are three examples of digital activism because we saw the change as a result of what we were able to do. Yeah, I would say this sort of round of Black Lives Matter protests and movements is probably when I've been the most active in terms of digital activism. So I've done uh, a, I guess you would call it a sit-in. And it was very, very clever when I actually, when I realized what it was, the rally that a certain political figure held in Tulsa, um, registering for a seat, um, and then unfortunately not being able to go. 
and uh, doing a lot, a lot, a lot of resource collecting and disseminating on my different social medias and assisting in making some graphics for some smaller organizations on Facebook, signing petitions, signing a lot of petitions, using our own um, CDVL account to sort of educate on digital activism and, and saying, you know, these are different ways you can help. These are different conversations you could be having. Consider myself a little bit more of a baby to digital activism. It's, it's, it's more of a, this past year, it's been my first real jump into it. Yeah, you and I are both pretty young in terms of... Get out of here, no way. My, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you both have an old spirit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is our first sort of adult age political unrest time. This is our first, where were you when XYZ thing happened? So yeah, that, that, is, that is also part of context for this conversation. I've been, as far as digital activism, I remember getting involved in signing petitions and that sort of stuff when I was young as like 15 on different subjects and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting into, it's like petition signing, but at the end of it, they allow you to send a letter or email to your representative. Oh, yeah. And I started getting into that. Funny story about that, though. Recently, I got called out by a senator. Um, Yay! Or, or House of Representative on the Georgia level. Yeah. <laughs> I got called out because she was like, uh, I can tell this is copy and paste letters. Make sure you write original thoughts. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think is interesting, Sai, is back in the old days when we were doing petition writing and you did a form letter, you literally had to print it, fold it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, mail it. And you could also customize a little easier because you were doing these letters by hand. And we, of course, did form letters that were like basically copy paste. But the, the thing that I was going to say is interesting is now when you email things, they could, you know, one of the things that people will do is they'll just set a filter and just send all this mass email to spam or maybe even to the trash, which which is irresponsible if someone is doing that as an elected official. But my mother is an elected public official, and so she gets a lot of mail. But one of the things that you're taught when you are sending petitions is to just kind of vary it a little bit, get the same points across, but vary it a little bit. And being on the receiving end, helping my mom have to filter through some of that. And then also being someone who sent letters. That is something that's that's different. But I will say, if you were called out, that's a good thing. Yeah. Somebody's listening. She, uh, Whoever she is, she's listening. She realizes that it's a form letter. And that means you had a voice. Yeah. It wasn't about the current string of protests. It was taking place before the current string. It was about a coalition of small music venues that had formed and wanted financial relief from the state of Georgia to survive during COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Like the masquerade and starts with a C. Yeah. Uh, center stage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also right now I'm trying to formulate a book club, like a virtual book club to educate people on democratic socialism as a form of perspective when voting. 
because of how excited people were about Bernie and the changes that he was talking about and how people galvanized behind AOC and that sort of thing. Hmm. You know, I think digital activism has a huge place in campaigns as well. I know that, you know, when people are running for office, it's easier for them to go out and look at the, the pulse of what's going on on Twitter, what's being said on Instagram, what people are reacting to on Facebook. So I think even in the in light of political campaigns that are going on, that digital activism has a tremendous impact. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, which kind of brings me to uh, my next question. With all the digital campaigns that are out there or pull back from a second from necessarily just the BLM uh, protests, but in general, like campaigns that have gone through the internet and try to galvanize support. There has been a growing divide between what some people call slacktivism and digital activism. Mm -hmm. When you hear the word slacktivism in regards to um, online galvanization, what type of action or inaction does that bring to mind? I think for me, when I think about how we're defining slacktivism, I think you have the reset definition and it says messages and ideals get brushed aside in the push for more clicks, likes, impressions, and page views when campaigning online. And it's now bumper to bumper with the causes and campaigns, which can make it difficult for any of them to achieve meaningful impact. I think that is a heavy statement because you're exactly right. The statement speaks to what is true it can derail what you're trying to do because people are, they want to be the wokest. So they want to say the best thing, or they want to say, you know, they want to get likes or they want to show this video first. And there's always that whenever you have activism intent, it's something that's hard to read, harder to read when you're in person. It's easier to see it when you have it in the digital form because it's there. It's, it's kind of like this indelible mark that somebody has made. It's, it's there and you can read it over and over again. I think also, and this is something that Barack Obama and Yara Shahidi had a conversation about a few years ago. I don't remember how long ago it was, but they were talking about the call out culture and the negative and the positive impact of that. And so what I see in a lot of slacktivism, I see a lot of people just wanting to be able to say, hey, I told that person, I did that. And it's like, it's a distraction to the activism. Yeah, you took this low risk and you call somebody out on social media and maybe they should have been called out, but it can be a distraction from the promotion of what's really important. So I think what I like is I'm seeing a lot of young people calling out the appropriate people. So yeah, you change your logo or you put this message up at your, at your business. But what we ask for in the Black Lives Matter movement is this. And so that part of the call out culture, which some people would, would, some people would argue that that's you know, a form of slacktivism. I, I would disagree with that because I feel like that call out is pushing us forward. But then there are those people who like I said before, they're taking the low risk and they're, you know, interested in likes and, and how many people are going to uh, retweet what they have or repost what their IG has. So I think slacktivism can be a negative impact to activism. But I think also if you 
bring into the conversation the call out culture that's going on, you can divide slacktivism into kind of two different two different streets. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lisa kind of stole half of my answer, but that's okay. I would agree on a lot of that. I, but I also think slacktivism is so subjective because I am one of the belief or of the, of the lens that there's a lot of different forms of activism and it matters to me so much more about the intent and like the, you know, I'm not really concerned. I, I don't believe that you have to be out there holding the sign in order to be a quote unquote good activist. And because a lot of people can't physically get there or a lot of people can't handle being there emotionally or, or mentally or physically or something like that. And especially with COVID, you know, I, I want so many people to be safe in these trying times. So I, when I think of slacktivism, I more so think of people well, one, I think of people basically, as Lisa mentioned, those that are sort of calling out for the sake of calling out, sharing the link to sort of get clicks and be like, wow, I did my good, my, my good thing today. Check, checking that box. Great. Going to sleep. And then I also think of these corporations who are all of a sudden just feeding these, these sort of empty campaigns, these empty visuals of, oh, look, we're on the right side of history now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, without any meaningful action behind it in terms of, are you donating toward money towards the cause? Because we know you have a lot of money. Are you, you know, changing some policies? Are you being transparent about what is actually happening? Or did you just pay for, you know, did you drop $3,000 to make a little commercial? that we're all supposed to feel good about and then go buy your product. So it's in the in the sort of black and white sense, that's what I think about slacktivism in the everyday sense in terms of like, is your aunt on Facebook a slacktivist? Uh, that's a little bit more subjective to me. I will say also just adding to that, I think a huge sign of slacktivism is people who call out without checking their facts. I've seen way too many times, especially on like Twitter and Tumblr, people being like, um, well, actually you can't say that because in 1994, so-and-so did XYZ. And then somebody who's educated on so-and-so and XYZ saying, actually, that did not happen at all. Your, your facts are very wrong. Yeah. So I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with, with intent. You know, also, Sai, to, to piggyback on what Anastasia said, I think sometimes, especially my generation, and I'm just going to trigger, I'm talking about my generation. I think sometimes we don't give the younger generation time to catch up to where our angst and our anger and our, and our, and our frustration and all of, we don't, we don't give you all time sometimes to get there. So I've seen a lot of people in my generation dismiss the way the digital activism is going because they feel like, as I was a part of, you know, um, we did this 40, 50 years ago or, or 30 years ago even, and you all are just you know, new to the game. And I mean, I've seen a lot of people be angry that about the celebrations around Juneteenth that are in an older generation because they feel like, oh, y'all just came to the party. But what, and so what ends up happening is there's a, there's all this negative judgmental conversation 
to me, that feels like slacktivism about what you know and what you don't know. And that's the part that discourages me because I feel like, you know, if you're making people aware and you're educating them, doesn't matter when they came to the game, there's a sense of community that you're building around your patience around them learning. So that I wanted to add that because what what Anastasia brought up was really a good point. So in light of that, and by that I mean like the general conversation that you that we just had about how the difference between slacktivism and digital activism is intent, what is a better goal for online activists? Like what's a better intent to have? Raising awareness or evoking actual change? Well, I will say this. Um, I work with two youth organizations and I've been working with them for years. Um, And one of the things I always say to them is, it's my job to make you aware, to educate you and empower you. And all of the, and those three things should move you to action. So for me, and this is just how I process things, I think the digital part makes it easy to gain awareness, educate people, empower people, but then we need to move to action. And Anastasia made a good point. Some people are not going to be out in the streets as foot soldiers marching. Some of them are going to be in the house changing where they spend their dollars, or they may be some writing petitions, or they may be somewhere helping someone feed another organization or anything. They could be doing anything in, in those hidden and silent actions are important. But for me, it breaks down into those four things, awareness, education, empowerment, and action. Some people never move away from awareness. Oh, I'm aware now of um, Black Lives Matter. And then, oh, let me just get a little more educated. What does it really mean? Or, or we, can use it, we can use the example of defunding the police. So you hear the term that makes you aware of it. Then you educate yourself and that makes you, okay, what does this really mean? And then you feel empowered because now you have the education in the background to move to action. And some people never get to the move to action because they can't decide, well, should we defund the police? Should we not defund the police? And they're trying to figure out, well, what does Beyonce think? I'm just using that loosely. Mm-hmm. Or what, what does this celebrity think? What does this important person think? So I feel like the digital activism gives you the first three things, the awareness, the education, the empowerment, and then you have the platform to move to action um, online. But you know, moving to action also means doing some things in in your life that aren't necessarily displayed out in a digital format. And like, you know, like everybody's saying online now, the first thing you can do is know where your dollars are going and know what the companies that you support, what they support. So that's one way that everybody in the world can move to action immediately. And I think to answer your question, it would be those four things. Anna? Anna. Shoot. <laughs> Lisa kind of answered it all for me. I don't know. I guess I would just echo everything that Lisa said, because that is something that I don't think people think about is like where your dollars are going. And I'm, I'm actually kind of happy to see that that's something people are talking about more, especially now, because, um, you know, they say the economy is going to change. But, you know, we're not going to worry about that right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, this is a lame answer, but I'm just going to echo everything Lisa, Lisa said. The other thing everybody can do that's of age is vote. So absolutely. The most powerful thing I've seen are these young people who are 
questioning their party alliance. So they're saying, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but maybe I don't understand or believe in this or that thing. And let me go out and investigate what these people represent, what they stand for. Let me even investigate what my party alliance is. And um, so I think those are actions that I really do believe that Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, I think those social media outlets have impacted people's decisions about the way they're voting. Yeah. I feel like with online activism, it's best paired with action that can be done physically somehow, like voting, like becoming an educator to further spread the message, like those sort of things. And that's the stopping point for part one of our two-part season opener. The conversation was so good, we went above and beyond. If you have any questions or comments related to this episode or ideas for future episodes, feel free to visit our anchor.fm page. There, you can leave a voice message for us or click on the website link to leave a written response at the bottom of the webpage. Before we sign off for today, I'd like to thank Eve, who is the audio editor for this episode. Now stay tuned for part two of the episode coming out two weeks from now.